April the 14th, 2019, lecture discussion number 60 on the book of Joel. And before we get started, I have a couple of letters. Mail is picking up. So clearly I'm irritating people or there's always a possibility I'm doing a better job. Okay, that can't be true. Must be the former. Uh, I got this one. Greetings. I have been listening to Cliffside Messages by way of sermon audio sometime late last year. I forgot when I started. That happens to a lot of people. Cliffside is different than any church I've ever heard before. (laughs) No kidding. At first I was wondering what's happening. (laughs) Uh, Here we go. Because sometimes Pastor Chronister would go off on subjects and talk about sports, Alaska issues, Diet Coke, tell jokes, etc. Also, members of the church speak up and interrupt him. She did. I added that part. Yeah, and yell at him. I had that part too. And talk during the message. Wait, they interrupt the pastor. Oh, it's horrible. I know. <laughs> and she goes on to say, you all are so real people, not stuffy or fluffy. Well, some of us are a little fluffy. I, okay, uh, not, uh, well, I guess fluffy, flabby. I, I, and such an abundance of knowledge compared to most churches. Please forgive me. Oh, never mind. I'll skip that part. Thank you for helping us to learn about God and Christ or God Christ. I have much to learn and will continue listening. I would like to attend a church like yours out there, but that's like finding a rare jewel. I hope that's a compliment. I have many questions and hope to contact you in the near future. Beverly in Southern California. Okay. Then I got this one from Mary Ann. Uh, I'm not sure where Mary Ann is from. I think Arkansas. Yes, Boonesville, Arkansas. Uh, And I'm just going to read the last of it here because it's uh, very good. I forgot to tell you how I found you. Notice Mary Ann found us on, or Beverly, I'm sorry. Beverly found us on Sermon Audio, and here's Mary Ann's story. I forgot to tell you how I found you. The Lord had been convicting me for a while that I wasn't spending enough time in the Word. But I liked doing other things also. Then in October 18th, I had almost my whole back fused, and they screwed my back to my pelvis bone. Some of it made me crooked, and I limp. It was my Jacob moment, and the Lord won the battle. Wanting to find out how to find Christ in the Old Testament, I decided then to start listening to sermons in Genesis because I'd always heard it was the foundation of everything. That's how I found you. So what have we learned from this? It's best to find cliffside when you have a broken, fused back. (laughs) And what was the other one? Um, um, Pastor Chronister goes off on subjects and you all interrupt me. Okay, so you are not the same as all the other churches, and that's all true. And I appreciate these two letters. There's more of them, uh, more of Mary Ann's. It's just amazing what she wrote, and I, uh, I'll bring some of that in when we have a little more time. Today's going to be a, uh, a difficult. Once again, everyone will fall asleep, including me at some point. Okay, we ended our, what uh, so far has been a meticulous analysis of Revelation 1 through 3. Last week, and we got this partial list of 14 things to further investigate, and that's the plan for today. I'm going to pick a few and go off on it and see what we can do with them. Um, 
But we're going to move slowly, carefully, at least make the connections that are on the surface that accomplish the minimum. And I let you know long ago, I decided that I can't get as deep as I want to do. I just can't. It's not possible. Don't have enough time. So accomplishing the minimum, I conceded to the minimum. And on the basis that as long as everyone understood that the study was shallow, and it is, it's just the beginning, then I'm safe. Uh, It requires that you keep going without me. And occasionally we're able to excavate to footing depth, uh, which in Anchorage is the top of footings 42 inches, which is under the envelope of of the building, assuming it has heat that is considered to be safe from the frost. As you know, 10 feet is where our water lines are buried and they freeze. But footing depth, 42 inches to top of footing. How do I know that? Uh, Never mind. Every so often, uh, we get beyond that. Every so often, our little mining operation digs a deep hole. And a deep hole is often exactly all that it is. It's just a deep hole. There's no precious treasures there. We didn't find anything. And it's dry. And off we go to dig some more. And being satisfied with the shoveling, that's very valuable. That's what you're supposed to do. Even if you come up empty, you didn't come up empty because you shoveled. And that's, that process is incredibly important to you. A valuable result, irrespective of what you find. And all of that to tell you, just this is the 14-item list. I'm going to take out of this one my favorites. I have favorites. The Antipas, Balaam, the Nicolaitans, Jezebel. Those are the ones that I really like the most. So, whoops, not the seven angels. Those are the ones that animate me. And I said last week that if you understand in Revelation 1 through 3, and actually Revelation 1 through 3 through 4, 1, stopping at 4, 1, that these 14 things are in there, uh, then you'll have a chance to figure out that, that those passages. They're very complicated passages. Hardly anyone... Uh, actually has a a full understanding of them. And I think the mistake they make is they don't grab these items. This is the synagogue of Satan, of course. There's hidden manna. I asked last week, does anybody know that there's white stone in those, those verses? What is white stone? That you get new names? God has a new name? You have a new name? Antipas, who's that? He's critical. Only place he's mentioned. God says that Jezebel... I will kill her children with death. Wow. It's an incredible statement. Why does he say that about her? And the church at which she is uh, assigned, in in a sense. And just those four are amazing. They're all amazing. All 14 of them are. And you have to realize that Christ... Brings these. He speaks all fourteen. He speak. He spoke these four. His voice actually made the sound of that list. Uh, and and again, that brings them. They're my favorites. Those four. But that brings all of them to this incredible level. They were spoken by God. And I should say, prophecy by definition is from God. It has to be from God, or it's not prophecy. In order for prophecy to be prophecy, it must originate from a timeless frame of reference of observation so in order for it to be prophecy it must come from somebody who is timeless outside of time 
Must be someone who has authority over time. Otherwise, it's not prophecy. Prophecy must be that which is seen by the one who sees all things. He's the creator of all things, including time. Prophecy must come from him. And usually God does what with his future uh, time revelations? What does he do? Typically, he gives them to prophets and they speak the words, right? That's not what's happening in Revelation. The prophecy is spoken completely by Christ himself, God himself. We have before us in Revelations 1 through 3, God himself manifested in the flesh, speaking aloud his prophecy. There is no, some people will say, well, John wrote it down. Yes, but it's the words of God. So what should we do with that piece of information? Go find all the other places he does it. Has he done it before? Yeah. Instead of, thus says the Lord, like Ezekiel may do, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah, the Lord says it himself. So we should go about collecting all other places where Jesus Christ does this. I submit that being the omniscient God, that Jesus Christ would know that his prophecies would do what? All the ones he says aloud would do what? They would interconnect. Especially the ones that he speaks aloud, that he personally spoke. Pay attention when God's voice is heard. Those are very important times. It would therefore be wise to note the first time that God's voice was heard. What's the obvious question? Who heard it? Absolutely right. What kind of membrane or substrate, if you will, what kind of substance does his voice have to be heard in? So who heard it? So places where the Lord God Almighty spoke aloud, in this case he has seven churches. I'm going to say that he has those churches are seven Prophecies, and he has seven of them, so what else should I do? Find out where else did Jesus Christ speak aloud seven prophecies. Woo! Okay. Was that your fault to do that? How many people dropped this from the internet now, right there? Okay. She chews gum. And I have to watch her chew gum. And I'm a te- I was a teacher, and chewing gum—you just couldn't do that. I mean, that was a, that was, I mean, that was horrifying. Mm-hmm. I used to throw things at kids that chew gum. I did. I still have a pretty good arm. I do have the glorious dry erase marker. I could hit you from here. But she would do what? Retaliate. That's right, because that's how she thinks. And she would throw gum. I doubt she could reach me, but I'm saying the back row, you could be in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Okay. Why did I say that? Because she made some mistake. Let the record show. (sighs) But we should start with where Christ spoke the seven prophecies. We probably should do that, at least list them, but we're not going to do it. But I just want you to know, again, this is the shallow, the, the minimum here. 
I can't do all of that stuff because, like I said, everyone falls asleep, including me. And so today is going to be more shoveling. It's going to be more collecting, maybe some conclusions, hopefully. Uh, but uh, And I know that we will have some conclusions. They may not be as obvious to you as you would like. But again, that's part of the shoveling. If I shovel for you, then what are you? That's right, one of my children. Where they said, oh, show me how to shovel some more, Dad. I need to learn how to do the dishes. That's my rule, is you always claim incompetence for things like vacuuming. I can't load the dishwasher to this day. It is It just completely perplexes me. <laughs> Lori's not listening. I know that. She's in radio silence. Okay, we're going to take on Jezebel today, not because it's the right one to start with. It probably isn't, but it's so fantastically interesting to me, and I hope that it is interesting to you. And the angel of the church in Thyatira write, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God. Christ uses that term. What's the obvious question right off the bat? Why does he use that? He could have used all kinds of names, couldn't he? This is the one he wants. Why does he want this one to Thyatira? These things says the Son of God who has eyes like flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. How's it sounding so good for Thyatira? That's pretty good. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel. So here we are with Jezebel. He singles out Jezebel. Now, there's lots of positions on Jezebel, and we'll get to as many of them as we can that make sense. Some of them don't make sense, but right off the bat, I'm going to tell you my position is is that Jezebel is Jezebel. That seems to be obvious to me, and, and uh, but that is not how most concede or most uh, have concluded. They think that Jezebel is not Jezebel. So we have the not Jezebel position, and we have Jezebel as Jezebel position. <sighs> okay. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. This is Christ saying that there's a woman that calls herself a prophetess and isn't one. You calling yourself a prophetess, you better be right. Otherwise, you're side by side with Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and heart. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Okay. Are you sneezing on the people in front of you again? 
Apparently, he thinks you are. <laughs> now you're hitting the people in front of you. We don't call her Crazy Becky for nothing. <clears throat> right off the bat. Did you know that windmills, wind turbines killed thousands and thousands of bats? Did you know that? Why must bats be slaughtered is what I want to know. Slaughtered on the altars of the rotating pagan god of droning propellers. Why? Why the poor bats? Who worships the tower of death that are these propellers that drone endlessly? Um, uh, I'm going to tell you that they're Martians. Can you make the connection why? What color are Martians? They're green. That's right. That's why. Green people worship these propellers of death. It makes perfect sense to me, doesn't it? Gosh, some of you were slow to get that, and I, you hate to just give the joke away, you know? You, I worked so hard at it. Okay, not that hard. Well, clearly the people who have the contract to run the thousands of miles of transmission lines, putting a wind turbine on a mountaintop is the, is the bird and the bat killing. That, that just happens. From this genius idea. Somebody gets paid to run the transmission lines. Do people live on mountains where these things are? No. You've got to run transmission lines to where people will live as far away from the noise and the dead bats and dead birds as you can get. And it's quite a lucrative enterprise for the elites of the political class. Right off the bat. Why not left off the bat? I've always wanted to know. Off the bat is obviously referring to what? Yeah, killing the poor bat. That's how I got all of this together, in case you're wondering how I think. The bat did nothing. Why would you want to off the bat? I did all of that for who? That's right, Beverly. (laughs) Hope she recognized it. Anyway. Jesus Christ describes himself again. He does it seven times to each church. This is one of the churches that he does it to. So let's make a list because we love lists. Okay, I love lists. He starts out with Son of God. That's what he does. Eyes like flame of fire. Feet like fine brass. Now, he obviously is God outside of time, omniscient. He could pick anything. This is the three he picks. Why does he do it for Thyatira? What does it mean? How do we figure out what that means? We have to figure out what it means and why he said it. To this church. Well, what we do is we go find Revelation 1, 14 through 15. Because guess what? It happens to be there too. So let's read that really fast. Uh, I'm going to start at 12. Then I turn to see the voice. 
that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded with the chest, uh, about the chest with a golden band. His head was, uh, head and hair were white like wool and white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. And the voice, the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of the, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And so there we have... Eyes like flame of fire and feet like fine brass, brass as a furnace. So we got a little bit more detail. John the Apostle is head and hair, white like wool, white as snow, eyes like flame, feet like brass in a furnace, sound of many waters. John falls at the feet of Jesus as dead and again, included in this is this, I got all this extra information. I have seven stars. I have the two-edged sword that comes from the mouth of Christ. And you can't look at Christ because if you do, it's like looking straight at the sun. Try that for fun. See how it works. And he's brighter than the sun. And John, again, fell as dead. Think about how a man who's dead falls. Because that's what he fell like. As you know, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. It isn't a dove. It's like a dove. The Holy Spirit is descending like a dove descends, not as a dove. Get rid of your dove pictures. It's illiteracy. Same thing here. John fell like a dead person falls. Obviously, Revelation 1 through 14 contains more elements. But Christ selected out two of these to give to Thyatira. I should probably make the whole list out, huh? Let's just put them on here. Because why didn't he say white hair or white head? Because his head is white and his hair is white. Why is his hair white and his head white? Why? They're both white. What is hair? Where else in the Bible is hair? Absalom. You know, there's lots of places we can find hair. What is the purpose of hair? Uh, we have all kinds of interesting things with regard to hair. But the white head is more interesting to me. Not because, never mind. Some of you might have figured out what I was about to say and thought better of it. I have a two-edged sword. What else have I got? I've got uh, the voice, many waters. In other words, an extraordinary loud voice. Sounded like a uh, hundred thousand Niagara Falls, probably. It was incredibly loud. Uh, there's the intense, the sun brightness. Greater than the sun. The garment. The white garment. The golden band. 
probably left out a couple of them, but that's enough. Point being is, is that all of that stuff is there, and the ones he picks is these two to give to Thyatira. Christ identifies him again. Notice, don't forget that. He identifies himself as the Son of God, the second person of the triune Godhead, uh, eyes and feet. So we can conclude from his proclamation of deity that the eyes and the feet must correspond to the specific use of the Son of God title that he says here. So those three have to, these first three have to have connectivity. All of it connects to each other, but these three have to mean something when they're out of the, out of the other context. And, and, Hopefully you have already noticed because you have read the homework assignments and I asked Eric, that's what we were meeting with. He had a professor that said, I won't insult you, college professor. College is a euphemism, not a euphemism, is a, a metaphor for reading. And I won't insult you by including any discussions on the reading in the class. I will make the assumption that you are motivated to read as you should. Can you give me the exact quote? That's right. He said, I won't insult your intelligence by lecturing on the reading material. Now, I wish I could do that because, unfortunately, uh, he's a uh, state employee and and, uh, his financial standing is greater than mine significantly. But the point being is, is that you need to shovel yourself. And if you don't, if you just come in here to watch me shovel, I get really good at shoveling and you don't. And so it's very valuable for you to say, okay. And I, and some of you have already noticed that the first of the seven churches, Ephesus, was given the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. Because that's in here too. And the lampstands happen to be gold, and the band happens to be gold, so guess what's going to happen there, right? Revelation 1.20, Christ reveals a piece of the mystery. He says to us what the seven stars and the seven angels are. So I have all these things that God has, Christ has, and he starts doling them out, if you will, to different churches. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. The seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. So he has seven lampstands, and they are the seven churches, and the seven stars are the seven angels over the seven churches. You got all of that? How many sevens is that? Why? Oh. The seven lampstands all have seven lamps. Does this sound like the guy going to St. Ives? Okay, the menorah has seven lamps, oil lamps, and Christ reveals some of that to us by giving us the angels and the churches are the lampstands and the stars, not necessarily in that order. Ephesus is told by Christ that they are one of the seven lampstands and Christ is the one who holds the seven angels and he does this while he's walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstand. So he tells Ephesus, he gives them the seven, to Thyatira, just keep you all on board here, 
he gives, he tells them that they get the eyes like flame of fire and the feet like a furnace, fine brass in a furnace. Did I mention the word furnace? I should mention the word furnace in case I haven't mentioned the word furnace. What should you do? Find the place that is the most prominent that has furnace in it. I will do it for you in a minute. Yes, you are absolutely right. And that's what that second box was for. Brady in the front row got an A. He immediately figured out where the most significant place there is a furnace. Maybe, because there's two, and I will pick the one that I think is the most significant because of Matthew 26. Still good. <laughs> but immediately went where he should have gone. And that's what I want for everybody, not just Brady, who's probably the newest one here. Aren't you ashamed? No, you're not. You're all doing amazing. You really are. And if you don't think so, read my mail. They can't believe you. They really can't. They are, think you're impolite and rude to me. And I have evidence of that. Well, why wouldn't you be? I'm impolite and rude to you. So, I mean, it's kind of a fair fine. <laughs> okay. Beverly's going to wonder if this is going to happen now every time. Because she's inspired me, hasn't she? <sighs> It'll be her fault. Cliffside Legal Defense and uh, uh, Syndicate will hunt her out. So Ephesus, the church of Ephesus is told by Christ that they're one of the seven lampstands and that he holds the seven angels in his hand. And while he is doing that, he's walking in the midst of the seven lampstands. So it's thing, start trying to picture that. He puts the seven lampstands around him and he's holding the seven angels and he's walking in the midst of them. So what do you think now? Let me put the word mist. M-I-D-S-T. Oh, yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Here we go again. God himself walking in the midst of anything is clearly a Genesis 2.9.3.3 referral. The tree of life is in the midst and Christ is walking in Genesis 3.8. Always search for Genesis whenever you're looking for revelation. They're going to connect. They absolutely will. They're the first and the last. The first and the last just happens to be the name of God himself. He calls himself the first and the last. Christ does it in Revelation, but it's all throughout the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah. But he does it often. I am the first and the last. It's a deity name. Genesis, Revelation, first and last, automatically they're going to be connected to that name. It is a name of the YHVH, the Creator God, the Infinite One. Pergamos gets something too here. They get the sword. So this Ephesus has the seven stars and the lampstands. So here's Ephi and here's Pergamos. Now again, here's Thyatira. Thyatira, the Jezebel church, the fourth. 
Sardis the fifth is assigned the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, wait a minute. That sounds a lot like uh, Ephesus. Well, that, if you're keeping score, Ephesus and Sardis both have the seven stars. Philadelphia has the key of David in the open door. Laodicea, is he says he's the Amen. I remember that lecture. Christ calls himself the Amen. What is the Amen? Remember that from a few months ago? He also says he's the faithful and true and the beginning. What's the Amen? What's the beginning? Laodicea also gets the closed door. We've gone over that just a little bit. All titles of God for Laodicea, but Laodicea, Smyrna, and Philadelphia receive uh, none of the items, if you will, of Revelation 1, 12 through 17. So what do we do now? We've figured out that some people get, or some churches got some things that have to have meaning that directly impacts that church. Other churches didn't get get things, but they got other things, but not from 112 through 17. Daniel 7, 9 provides some really uh, invaluable commentary, as does Genesis 15 here. Daniel 7 through 4, or 9 through 14 contains the garment. This is where the Ancient of Days is starting to, to call together, starting to convene something. Daniel 7, 9 through 14 has this garment. So the garment in Revelation 1, 12 through 17 is also in Daniel 9 through 14 of chapter 7. And they, and the golden band, the golden band is, um, is assumed to be in Daniel, but the garment is, and we always assume the golden band is there as well because the golden band and the garment are part of the high priest adornments. They're a unit. They're worn together. The garment, a perfect white, and the golden band. Daniel 7, 9 through 10 also has the head of pure white. So, once more, we have the symmetry between Daniel and Revelation. The fire, the flame, these, the vestments of the ancient of days. He has the head of pure white. We can assume logically that he has the hair of pure white. He has the fire flame, the fine brass furnace of feet. He's got all the vestments of the high priest. And what is he convening in Daniel 7? What's he doing? He's a judge. He's convening a court. There's a trial. So now we know something about things. The Ancients of Days is a name used of God. Not just the us, if you will, of God. The triunity of God. It's a behold, Daniel 7.13. He says, behold the Son of Man. And then the word after that, or the statement after that, is they brought him near before him. Both hymns are capitalized. The only issue is to figure out who the they is. Most believe that they are angels. I'm kind of getting away from you a bit, but just try to hang with me. You're in the book of Revelation. What did you think was going to happen? For the longest time, the church, Martin Luther, thought we shouldn't even, should he be in the canon? Made no sense to him. He didn't like James much either. So, the Lutherans, we should just for fun, exclude uh, Revelation and James from their Bible. Oh, wait. They might have already done that. Just a little commentary.
Let me try again for you. The oldest Christian interpretation declares Daniel 7.13, the ancient of days, the hymn and the hymn, to be the mystery of God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, the triunity of God. Let's say it the way the Jews would say it. The Lord God. The Lord God, the angel of the Lord God, and the spirit of the Lord God. That's what the Ancient of Days conveys. And this, however, the Ancient of Days is also assigned particularly to Christ. So you'll have two two Ancient of Days in Daniel 7, and it'll confuse you. One of them is the Lord God, the angel of the Lord God, and the spirit of the Lord God. The other one is Christ himself. In Revelation... Uh, 1, 12 through 17, we have Christ as the Ancient of Days. But keep understanding that the Ancient of Days is the entirety of God. Not that there's any separation. There's all sameness. It's all unity. Uh, but um, we have no way to explain it. It's unexplainable. That's why when you see it in the Bible, expect it to be unexplainable. If it's not unexplainable, then it's then you're goofing up somewhere. In other words, the Ancient of Days is a hypostatic union term, but it's also a term assigned to Christ, the God-Man in the triune Godhead. So this is the mystery of godliness, the greatest of all mysteries. That's Daniel 7. That's what's happening here. In the book of Revelation, the Ancient of Days has come again. Daniel saw him, and now here he is again. It's also in Daniel 10. So we're tracking the Ancient of Days, who is convening a trial. He's the judge. He's about to present a sentence. He's about to declare guilt. We don't have time today to dwell into Daniel 7, 9 through 14, except to note that it ties to Revelation 1, 13. Next week, I'll battle through that again. Hopefully, it'll make some sense for you. Why do I want you to understand Revelation? Because you're probably on the precipice of it. If I were to list my questions that I get, overwhelmingly, the Revelation. Revelation and Genesis. Beverly, Genesis. I get Revelation and Genesis. And at Daniel 7, 9 through 14, Jesus Christ is, again, presiding as judge. He's convened a trial. He is about to pass sentence here. And he is the judge of all things, as you know. And he has the wicked one in front of him, the Antichrist specifically. And he opens books. That's Revelation 20, 11 and Daniel 7, 10 coming together. So here in Revelation um, are in uh, Revelation 1 and 2 and 3, we have Christ as judge, specifically at Thyatira. Because flame of fire, eyes, and feet is an Ancient of Days reference. Just to know, you know, Jesus Christ is assigned to be judge of everything, all things. John 5:22 and Revelation 20, 11 through 15. So we got that, I hope. Probably not, but that's okay. I'm undetoured. Furnace. Where's Furnace? Furnace, unbelievably, is attached uh, almost every time. Okay, every single time. I shouldn't say unbelievably, but it is Genesis 15. The 
the smoking furnace of Genesis 15, 15, 17. The smoking furnace of Genesis 15, 17 is going through the split animals. The pa- it's passing through the pieces of the animals of the two birds that were not separated or not cut in half, but the other animals cut in half. This is where the ashes of the red heifer begins as well. But I have the ram, uh, I have the birds and the, the animals that Abraham cut. And this burning furnace, smoking furnace, goes through with a flaming torch. So I have a bright light and a smoking furnace passing through the pieces. And this is a solving of the unsolvable. This is something that the angels could not conceive and did not conceive. No one, no angel could figure out what was given to Abraham. Abraham got it. And that's very interesting. Why did Abraham get this solution that is in Genesis 15? The solution is that Christ will come. God will come add humanity and present himself as the sacrifice. He is the take me of Genesis 15. Again, Abraham got that. Not the angels. The first time the angels saw it was when Abraham got it. Now, my question immediately is, is could they figure it out? I don't think they did. Because I have Matthew 4. Where they didn't seem to know that Christ was God in Matthew 4. I can't revisit Genesis 15. I just got to throw it out to you. But just as you have, if you haven't heard the Genesis 15 lecture, Genesis 15 is fulfilled and more fully explained at Matthew 26, 36 through 42. That's Gethsemane. Genesis 15 is fulfilled by Christ at Gethsemane. I have the, the bright light, which is Christ, the mercy of God, the love of God that is omnipotent and wills and wishes that none should perish. And I have the smoking furnace, which is judgment. That's the feet of brass, as if refined in a smoking furnace. That's Genesis 15. So I have a smoking furnace and a bright light side by side. I have it again here. I have bright light and I have a smoking furnace. Feet are the smoking furnace. In Genesis and in Matthew 26, 36 through 42, Christ does not want to take the cup. That's what he's portraying. He wishes that none perish. Because the cup is the sin of the saved. You've heard me say that many times, I hope. That means the sin of the unsaved, he does not take. That's an act of judgment, separation. And that is portrayed in the fine brass furnace. And the white and the fire are the light. Where's my light? Uh, right here. So the feet of fine brass, if it refined as refined in a smoking furnace, that's Genesis 15. Son of man, Revelation 13, sends us to Daniel 7 and John 5, 22, and Daniel 10, where I have the glorious man. That's the ancient of days sitting in judgment. If you don't have it, don't worry. I'll do it some more. Just so long as you know that the smoking furnace, the feet of brass as if in a furnace, is a symbol of judgment. Daniel's friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel 1.6, Daniel 3.19. How come I don't use their Babylonian names? 
Because you don't know them by uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, do you? Or Daniel. You use the Babylonian names. That's what you taught and taught in Sunday school. Well, I'm telling you, it's Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel. It's not the book of Belshazzar or whatever it is. I have to go look it up. I always say Daniel. But those, those three friends of Daniel were placed into a smoking furnace. And who was in the midst of the smoking furnace? This is why he went, this is smoking furnace. Yay Brady. Let's all sing the Yay Brady song. Key of G minor. It's a minor key. <laughs> but the point being is, is that in the midst of the burning, firing furnace was the glorious man, was the Son of God. He's in the midst of the judgment. Thank you. I see the, the hands. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were saved from the judgment by the Son of God. That is Revelation 2.18. He actually says, doesn't he? These things say the Son of God. I am the Son of God in the midst of the lampstands and in the midst of the fiery furnace. That sends you back to that furnace where he is there. Nebuchadnezzar saw four men alive in the seven times heated furnace. There's a seven. Do you think the seven? There's seven. All, all of Revelation is seven. Every seven you find is going to get you to Revelation. He sees the seven times heated furnace. One of the men there was the Son of God, the same one who announces himself to Thyatira. The men of Babylon who threw uh, has Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into the smoking furnace. They got too close to the seven times heated furnace, didn't they? And what happened to them? They were consumed by it. Okay? So here we have the feet, the fine brass, the smoking furnace. And hopefully the doctrinal truth is apparently obvious. Apparently obvious is a redundancy. It happens to be my favorite. I used to use optimistically hopeful. Another redundancy. Okay, so you got that? I hope you do. I have a note here to read uh, 18 through 23. Oh, I've already read that. Let me repeat, do this part. Well, let's do it again. I know your works. Uh, the feet of fire, fine brass talks about Jezebel. She clearly is evil. He gave her time. Kills her children with death. There's a lot of solemnity there. First, though, we, ha- we will find that Jesus begins with a statement about himself, his attributes. He's the Son of God. He has eyes like flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. Again, that is bringing up the furnace of Daniel. It's bringing up the ancient of days of Daniel. It's bringing up judgment. So he's announcing himself as the judge sitting on the throne of Daniel 7 to Thyatira. He tells them, I... I, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. All that's good. But he has a few things against you, he says. Not so good. So, right off, 
the bat as opposed to left off the bat. You need to recognize the judge part of Thyatira here. He's saying that he's the judge. Let me read this part. These things says the judge. I know your works. He's declaring his omniscience there. He has to be omniscient, doesn't he? In order to be who? In order to be judge. So he starts out with this uh, declaration of who he is, of who he is. Does that make sense? He is saying that I am the judge. I am the one who stops you from being consumed by fire. But some of you will be consumed by fire. I have... uh, eyes like fire, and I am bringing the smoking furnace. That's how he starts. Uh, Declares himself to be God, to be omniscient, to be judge. So when you're in front of a judge, consider the implications. If you're standing in front of a judge, what's the implications for you? What follows, however, for Thyatira... After he gives them his citation. So after he says, I'm the judge, there's an acknowledgement, a formal recognition of achievement. He gives them a citation, if you will. But what follows that for Thyatira is this condemnation, a finding of culpability. I should note that the second church, Smyrna, and the sixth church, Philadelphia, are not condemned. Of the seven, I have two that aren't condemned. Here's one of the five that is condemned. Christ does not issue a degree of guilt to Smyrna or Philadelphia. We're going to have to figure out why that is. But it's obvious to me that Jesus Christ, the Ancient of Days, is presiding at a trial as the one who created and installed time. He's the omniscient consciousness. He's the absolute observer. He has to be in order to be able to judge all things. And he can judge all things because he's infinite God and he created time. In other words, he's got a court proceeding here. Who's the attorney for the defendant? And that's not a terrible question. And it means we collect all the other court procedures in Scripture, don't we? Where's the most significant? Because we have a court procedure right here. He's going to, he's standing as judge. He's going to preside. He tells them good things and he condemns them. So where's the very first court procedure? And that's right. It's in Genesis 3. That should be the default position, right? You should immediately go Genesis 3. If I ask you a question, I say you get a skittle. The answer is usually Genesis 3, isn't it? Studying the book of Revelation first and last, there's a logic, a reasoning. Many reasonings why Genesis is first and Revelation is last in the word of God. Revelation 2, 20 through 23 is the recitation of crimes that Thyatira has committed. And then there's a sentencing, the consequence of those, those, those crimes. He gave them, he gave Jezebel time to repent, but she didn't repent. Consequences. Well, what are the crimes? Here, we'll list them. Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess, but wasn't. That's a crime. She taught and seduced the servants of God. She committed sexual immorality, and she ate things sacrificed to idols. That's the crimes. Thyatira has allowed Jezebel to call herself a prophetess. If you're a church and somebody's standing up calling themselves a prophetess, go get a bat. 
Stop them for their own sake. You don't call yourself these kinds of things unless you know. And how would you know? You would be told. And you would be right on everything. It's a, ser- it's a death sentence to call yourself a prophet and not be a prophet. Look at Ezekiel 13. I always am amazed that people don't pay attention to things like that. But we have five things, five crimes. She called herself a prophetess. She taught and seduced. I guess you could say six, the servants. She committed sexual adultery and she ate things. They ate things. The, the people that she corrupted ate things that were sacrificed to idols. Uh, and that doesn't seem like a few things to me, but they're major felonies for sure, using the parlance or the vernacular of our time. Je- Jezebel is a figure of great evil, a murderer of the prophets of God, is true prophets. Jezebel calls herself a prophet- prophetess. She is not. She's a murderer and she lies. Adultery, sexual immorality is used by God to represent paganism. I'm going fast here, aren't I? Every time you see sexual immorality or adultery, it often, if not always, is being used by God as a symbol of paganism. The worship of idols and And men, a mere man, a created thing, worshiping a man. It happens in every generation. It's going on in Japan. It goes on in in Asia, East Asia. They worship men as gods. It happens in the United States. People that our country is worshiping now, we call them athletes and actresses, the dumbest among us. I'm sure there's an occasional intelligent athlete. There are no such things in the theatric dramatic schemes. Maybe one. Quit worshiping people. It's just horrifyingly wrong for a Christian to idolize human beings or idols. Physical things, created things. It's heresy, it's blasphemy, it's apostasy, and it will result in doom if a church begins to do that. Eating that which is sacrificed to those idols is an act that is in contrast to what? Do it for me. Eating things that are sacrificed to idols is in contrast to the God, the way God does it. What's the contrast? Communion. Did anybody think of it? Eating that which is sacrificed to idols is an act in contrast to the symbol that is communion, the bread and the cup, the symbol that is the body of Christ and the life blood of Christ. Jesus is the one and only means of resurrection, which means life. He is the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. Christ orders us. It's a commandment. It isn't a suggestion. We'll have to. We, he says every time and when Passover, Passover will be Friday. The pagan holiday of Ishtar will not be Friday. Christ orders us to eat the bread that is the symbol of his body and drink the wine, which is a wine, which is the portrait of his blood, the blood of life. He does do it. The substitution of eating of idols is abhorrent to God. As well as worthless and futile to the partaker. The element of communion versus idol sacrifice eating, which is, what, what, idol sacrifice is commonly who? Notice how I said that. Idol sacrifice is commonly children. See Leviticus 18.21. 
When you're eating the things that are sacrificed to idols, who, what are you eating? Who are you eating? Who does that? And before somebody might protest, child sacrifice, the, the burning and dismemberment of children, the shedding of innocent blood, something that God hates, hates it. He hates it, Proverbs 6:17. Does that happen in this country? Absolutely it happens in this country. Is anybody eating the sacrificed children? Don't bet against it. You start paying attention to what the very, very rich are doing in this country. It is godless and awful. May God have mercy on their souls. It's killing the innocent is a routine occurrence, certainly in this country, but all throughout the world. China, perhaps the worst of the worst. But back to the subject. Jesus Christ, the I am, attaches Jezebel to the eating of that which is sacrificed to idols. Ask why? Why does the Lord God Almighty connect those two? What did the pagans eat? Why did they eat those who were sacrificed to their idols? What was their reasoning? Well, it is a perversion of Jesus' body and blood symbolism in the communion. It's a counterfeit of that. Instead of having life through his blood, you get death, as all counterfeits do. The components of Thyatira is why many commentators ascribe Thyatira to the Roman Catholic Church. Thyatira, the name, carries the meaning of perpetual sacrifice, constant sacrificing. And sacrificing is brought up here. It's a view I will address in the weeks to come. I will say it is a fragile position, in case you're worried about what I think. It's susceptible, might be a better word. In other words, the position that Thyatira represents the Roman Catholic Church is uh, fragile. Vulnerable, might be, uh, it's vulnerable to the counter. I understand why they think this. I'm saying to you that it, uh, it's not easily to defend it. It's very common. In any event, Thyatira, as does Philadelphia and Laodicea, demonstrate characteristics that clearly exist now. So it's hard to say that these are a subsequent uh, prophecy when we have this exhibiting of concurrence with Thyatira, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I'll get to the other four in the coming weeks. But I expect the concurrence. I, I expect simultaneousness, if you will. It's not really a word that I use often, but you can add ness to almost anything and sound intelligent. That's why I do it. <laughs> I need to say that, don't I? Right off, right off the batness, he said. That's very funny. See what you've done. See what you've wrought here, Beverly. But I would expect concurrence because I, who's the source of this prophecy? That's right. It's Jesus Christ. He is the timeless one, the outside of time, the I am. He's always in the present. His prophecy would be in the present to him. It would be a prophecy, but it'd also be concurrent. But look at this. I will kill her children with death. What does that mean? I gave her time to repent. The timeless one mentions time. Obvious questions. How much time did Jezebel receive? Is Jezebel still getting time? Jezebel was trampled into oblivion. Essentially couldn't find enough to bury. She, they, they 
They threw her out of a building. She made sure her makeup was on first. The counterfeit always looks good. That's what Jezebel is depicting in the Old Testament. She looked really good, but she was deadly poison. So Thyatira has something in it that is deadly poison. Look what he says. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. And Jezebel was actually cast down to the pavement, if you will, the bricks where she was trampled. And those who commit adultery or paganism with her into the great tribulation. Wow. He will cast Jezebel into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into the great tribulation. Does he know what he means? What does he mean? He knows what he means. Do we have a church that is filled with Jezebel? You see how they get the position? That will go into the tribulation? The Jezebelian the Jezebel, Jezebelness will go into the tribulation. Does that make sense? Okay, I have a church that is filled with Jezebelness. Gosh, I like that word. It is good. I'm, I've, I've outdone myself. Filled with Jezebelness. The Jezebelness will go into the tribulation. Okay, but I also have I know your works love, service, faith, and your patience. So, what is this organization? How is it different from Laodicea? We'll get to that too next week. I will kill her children with death. Wow. Astonishing. Where else did God kill the children with death? Go find the places where people eat children. Have we talked about that recently? Yes, we have. The two women 